Cape Talk, New Beginnings. Now, my guest in studio today is someone whose story I came across a month or so ago when I was researching uh, ahead of an interview with the South African Depression and Anxiety uh, Support Group. And I stumbled upon his blog talking about his own struggle with depression and how it led to a suicide attempt which profoundly changed his life. Um, a chunk of the story plays out in the UK, but the man at the heart of it all is living in Cape Town once again. And it's a great pleasure to welcome into studio today to share his story. Daryl Brown, we're so glad to have you with us. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Now, uh, we're going to talk not only about your own story, but also about the various causes that you champion and uh, issues that you like to highlight through your blog. But let's start uh, with the background of who you are. You grew up in Cape Town, is that correct? Yes, I lived in Malkpa Strand for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, went to school in Tableview, uh, university here in Cape Town. Um, and after about three years working um, in Cape Town, I got a a marketing degree and I worked in an online marketing company. I decided to move to London to uh, pursue a master's degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, had you suffered from depression before you moved to the UK? Was it something that had been part of your life for longer than that? I'd been struggling with depression since I was a teenager. Um, The first time I contemplated suicide, I was about 12 years old. Sure. But I didn't talk to anyone about it. Um, I didn't think that anyone would be able to say something or do something that would change it or make me feel better. Um, And I thought, I know, it just seemed like everyone else went through ups and downs and they all managed to to carry on with life. Mm. And I just couldn't do it. So I kind of felt like it was my responsibility to look after it myself. And try and bounce back. Uh, Did you you realize at that young age that it was depression? You probably didn't even have the language to articulate what you were going through if you were only 12. No, I, and also, I I mean, I'd heard about depression a few times when I was about 15 or so, I think. Um, But, you know, I just thought it was kind of one of these made up um, diseases Mm. that people use as an excuse for not dealing with their their issues and not um, dealing with life. Kind of like an excuse to be neurotic. An excuse to be neurotic. <laughs> I mean, what were you dealing with? Do you, were, there, were there issues that were contributing to how you were feeling? I was bullied at school for being gay. Um, but the first time I heard the word gay, I didn't even know what it meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I only got to learn about homosexuality through what my, um, my fellow students were saying and... Mm-hmm. Um, the way they were bullying me. And I just felt like whatever it is, I don't want to be that. It seems like something terrible. Um, So I think a big part of my depression started um, from that because I couldn't accept this very big part of myself. Mm. Um, I was also, um, I grew up in a Christian home and I was quite involved at church and I thought that um, being gay was a sin. Um, And, you know, for years I actually prayed and I fasted about it on and off um, hoping that God would heal me and make me mm. straight. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't work. It it was actually weird. The The more I um, prayed about it and the more I, the more I felt like I was getting closer to God, the more it felt like being gay was a bigger part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And did that perhaps inform your decision to go overseas in part that maybe it was an opportunity for a fresh start to be distant from the situation you've described here in South Africa and give you a chance, yourself a chance to get to know yourself away from all of that? Absolutely. I had been on holiday to the UK to visit a friend of mine there um, twice before. And I just it was the first place I ever felt at home and just mm-hmm. free and who I, I could be who I was. Um, I also, I, you know, 
since school, I'd tried many different things to kind of cure my depression. You know, I thought, okay, you know, when I leave school, it will be better. When, mm. I, when I leave university, when I get a job, when I, um, I got more involved with the amateur theatre community in, in Cape Town, um, and nothing really fixed it because I think by that time, you know, I was changing all of the things around me in my environment, but the issue was actually inside. Mm. So the issue moved with you to the UK, as it were. Now, talk us through what happened there, because it got to a point in 2013 where you again faced the choice that you wanted to end your own life. What what got you to that point? When I left South Africa, I kind of, I felt that, um, you know, this was my last attempt at fixing my depression. I thought, if this doesn't work, then then that's it. I, I can't think of anything else. I've kind of run out of... Um, solutions. Mm. So it was my last option. I went over um, and I studied for my master's degree. The the plan with the master's degree was to um, just be more competitive in the market there because I wanted Mm. to stay there and live there and get a job. Um, But I couldn't get a work visa. I I had my first romantic relationship there, uh, which ended after six months. Um, And it wasn't anything that, um, you know, the guy had done. I just... I'd always thought, you know, I'm going to be the perfect boyfriend and I'll get it right. And I didn't. And I just felt like all of these failures in my life kind of compounded at that one point. And I just thought I'm useless at every aspect of my life and there's nothing I can do to to fix this. And what decision did you make when you got to that point? Um, I decided to kill myself. At that point, it felt like I didn't have any other option. I thought... um, you know, I was just exhausted of always hoping for this one day that might come that everything would be all right. And it felt like that was a kind of a hopeless dream. Um, and I couldn't wait for it anymore. Um, I just wanted to kind of, I felt like I wanted to go to sleep and never wake up. I just wanted some peace. Mm. Um, and so I told all of my friends in the UK that I was moving back to South Africa um, I deactivated my Facebook account. I didn't want anyone to, anyone there to know what had happened and kind of feel responsible for not noticing how I was feeling or not mm. reaching out to me. Um, I kind of figured my friends, my family here in Cape Town um, have gotten used to me be- not being around. You know, I've been mm. gone for a year, so um, they'll be able to deal with it more easily than if I go back and I I felt like I can't go back to Cape Town to that situation that um, I felt desperate to leave so I also I gave my landlord a month's notice and um, when the time came I packed my bag um, my big suitcase and I went down to the tube station and I jumped in front of one of the underground trains now that moment obviously a pivotal moment in your life where everything changed because you went there intending to end your life and that's not what happened. Um, I'm going to leave it up to you in as much detail as you want to share or don't want to share about what happened and what was going through your mind on that day as you took the decision to step in front of the train. But but maybe let's go one step further. And, and mm. when did you realize that you had not succeeded and what had happened? Um. On that day, I kind of felt like, okay, you know, I've made this decision and there's no turning back. I have to go through with it. Um, And when I was on the the train platform, I just waited for the platform to be empty. I didn't want anyone to see. Um, And I jumped in front of the train and 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly how long afterwards, but um, I came to when I was underneath the train um, and I could hear all of the people getting off the train above me. Um, and I just kind of thought, are you kidding me? It didn't work. Um, and I just kind of felt like, I don't know. what. Okay, you know, there's a chance that this still might work. Um, you know, if I lose consciousness now, I might never come back again. Mm. So I just kind of lay there and hoped to pass out again. How many, do you know how long you were down there? I mean, I, I, it must have taken some time to get medical personnel on scene to help you. Uh, I, I don't know how long it was. Um, I was conscious for a while longer and I could hear the, the rescue team kind of crawling towards me from the front of the train where they'd gone under. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to scream or anything because I just thought of all of the, the people on the train, you know, the little kids and the old ladies getting off the train. I, I thought I'm going to traumatize them if I kind of mm. scream. But after a while, I, um, I don't know, it was just so painful. Like I became more and more aware of the pain. And so I called out and, um, the rescue team kind of paused and I could just kind of hear this silence in their movements. And then they started moving like more frantically towards me and I think that was the point that they realized I was still alive mm. um, and I was conscious until they got to me um, and they tried to keep me conscious but I don't know I, I passed out um, I know that one of the rescue team from the hospital um, tried to so I lost both of my legs in the suicide attempt I um, am a, a wheelchair user now um, and I know that one of the rescue team from the hospital tried to uh, reattach my my leg, uh, one of my legs, um, on the platform. Uh, but when it got to the hospital, um, it had got an infection and so on, so they had mm. to take it off eventually. So you woke up in hospital facing the realisation that not only had this goal that you had prepared for so mm. carefully and really set your mind to not been fulfilled, but you now faced life that was without legs, confined to a wheelchair, a life that was profoundly changed in virtually every way from what it had been like the day before. For somebody who was already in a suicidal state of mind, that must have been, I mean, to say incredibly difficult, just doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what it must have been like. Yeah, I I mean, I, I can't even really explain my state, frame of mind when I was in the hospital, I was I went through some very dark times. Um, obviously, I was very angry and um, kind of resentful towards, I don't know, God and the universe for letting this happen. Um, and my mom came from Cape Town to uh, to visit me while I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital for about two and a half months. She was there for four weeks, and every single day she came to um, the hospital and she sat next to my bed and. You know, I, I would be. She she raised me to be very polite, and I was always very friendly and polite to mm. the nurses and the other um, patients and everything. But when she came, I just kind of took out all of my frustration and my anger on her. And she never once got angry at me. She never once yelled at me. Um, she just took it all, and she was there and supportive for me. That's amazing. Mm. Had uh, had they? I know you sent an email to your parents before you went through with it? Had, had they received that? I mean, what must have been going through their minds? Yes, they received the email. Uh, so I attempted suicide on um, the on a Sunday evening and I sent the email to my mom's work address so, so that I knew she wouldn't Monday. get it until Monday. Um, by that time, it would be too late to do anything. Um, I had 
put uh, my mom's details in my suitcase on the, the train platform and um, just saying, you know, she's my next of kin, please get in touch with her and so on for the police. Um, but I don't know, somehow they they lost it or they mm. didn't find it. Um, and my parents couldn't get in touch with anyone. They didn't have another contact number for anyone that mm. I knew in London. So eventually they got in touch with Interpol and it was only three days later that they eventually tracked me down and, and found out what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a staggering story, Daryl, because of course the most staggering thing about it is that you're sitting here today uh, yeah. talking to me with a smile on your face and preparing in the next 10 minutes to talk to me about what you've done with the second chance of life that you were effectively given that day. Um, But it must have been agonizing uh, to adapt, to go through a lot of therapy in hospital, Mm. to adapt to your new physical situation. But uh, the one thing, if there is a glimmer of hope here, is you you finally got a diagnosis of depression during that period, didn't you? And yeah, I was diagnosed as soon as I... um was in the hospital and a team of psychiatrists came to see me every day and I was put onto antidepressants. Um, and I didn't, re- I, I didn't really connect with the psychiatrists at that point. Um, and I think medically, you know, they're more um, trained to deal with medication and um, they're not, they don't really do talking therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was only when I moved to a different hospital to do all of my physical rehab um, that I spoke to an actual psychologist and you know I tried to speak to her the way I'd always spoken to everyone putting on this mask of Mm. you know everything's fine and I'm not letting her see anything and within five minutes it was as if she she was inside my head and she knew exactly what I'd been thinking in certain moments Um, she knew almost what other people had said to me to make me feel a certain way Mm. and um, I couldn't believe it Um, and she said, well, you've got depression and this is how people with depression think. And I, for the first time, I realized I'm not crazy and I'm not the only one who's ever felt this way. Um, there's actually someone who's trained to be able to help me through this. Mm. Um, so, yes, that was that changed everything for me. Cape Talk. New beginnings. If you've just joined us, my guest in studio is Daryl Brown, who has been sharing with us the story of what led him to the point of attempting suicide in 2013, the injuries that he suffered in that event. And now, Daryl, the most important thing is to talk about what you chose to do with your life afterwards. You're back in South Africa. At some point, you obviously made a decision that your experience was not going to be an ending, but a beginning of something bigger. Well, um, as soon as I got back to South Africa, I started doing more research about depression mm. um, so that I could understand it more. And um, I, through my research, I found out about SADAG, which is the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. And they, I was really moved by the, the work that they do. Um, you know, they go around in, to schools and educate teenagers about mm-hmm. um, mental health issues Um and they they raise awareness in the media, and I just kind of felt like if someone had, if I had understood um, depression more, if I'd had a, more of a, um, I don't know, a sympathy for it, um, my story might have ended up differently. Mm. So you've become an ambassador for SADAG. I know you also have got a very beautiful blog where you write about a lot of the issues that you grapple with, not only about depression, but about uh, accessibility for people living with mm-hmm. disabilities and uh, supporting the LGBTI community. Was that also a decision that maybe others could benefit from just sharing in your story? Um, yes, I I think a depression um, is something that many LGBTI 
um, people and many disabled people struggle with because of their, um, you know, for me, depression came first, but I think for, for many other people, um, their circumstances might lead to it. And I thought it would be, I know the the stories that I read when I was doing uh, my research on depression were the ones that I could connect with and understand and um, empathize with. So I felt like by being more honest and being open um, and trying to articulate my feelings from a human perspective rather than a medical perspective, mm. I, I might be able to um, touch other people and let them, I know, just kind of let them get that spark of, oh, there is someone who can help me or... I'm not, I'm not alone. alone. Yes. Mm. I mean, I have to ask, what, your life obviously has changed fundamentally in terms that you now have to access Cape Town as somebody who's doing so in a wheelchair. How easy or difficult has that been? And how do we compare in Cape Town to your experience in the early days in London? Um, Cape Town, I think, um, compared to the rest of South Africa, Cape Town has done a lot of things to, to help people with disabilities. Um, I used to get catch the the My City bus from all the way in Malkabos to um, to Cape Town, but I remember the first time I tried to to go, um, there were these. I know the bus stops in Dannefontein already existed for Eskom, um, and My City just kind of adapted them, mm. uh, but the the ramps were too steep for actual wheelchairs. They were more kind of like gutters, and the people who built the My City stations just kind of thought oh well you know there's already a ramp here um and one of my neighbors had to go and like put cement down so that i could actually get onto the bus stop Mm. um also here in cape town some of the the bus stops are raised so that the the wheelchairs can get onto the buses but then there's uh like a right angled curb so you can't actually get from the road onto the bus stop um so it's kind of like a lot of um, well-intentioned things mm. um, have been done a bit short-sightedly, so not everything is considered. So not implemented in, to, in a way that's actually practically usable. Exactly. Is it something you've engaged with the city on at all? Um, I've tweeted about it a bit um, and blogged a little bit a bit about it. A friend of mine actually said I should go around um, to like different restaurants and different venues in Cape Town and kind of blog about that and mm-hmm. rate them um, in terms of accessibility, which is something I'm thinking of doing. I actually have a visitor coming uh, later this month who's doing exactly that. So perhaps we must put you in touch with one another and uh, it could be a two-man job because uh, <laughs> I'm going to be speaking to him in about a month's time about exactly that experience of testing on a practical level how accessible is the city two heads are always better than one so daryl i'll pass his details on Uh, i think we must in closing please let everybody know where they can follow your blog because i know that that uh the issues you've touched Mm. on today are ones that many people are grappling with who i think would find benefit in in sharing your story in greater detail where do they find that story well thanks papa um ma you can just go to the the url directly is d-a-r-y-l-h-b.com so darylhb.com It's been a great pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much and our best wishes go with you. Thanks, Papa. Daryl Brown.